Our scripture reading today is from the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 9 through 25. You can find it on page 892 in the Pew Bibles. Now a certain man named Simon had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he was someone great. All of them, from the least to the greatest, listened to him eagerly, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they listened eagerly to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, who was proclaiming the good... But when they believed Philip, who was proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. After being baptized, he stayed constantly with Philip and was amazed when he saw the signs and great miracles that took place. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. The two went down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet the Spirit had not come upon any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain God's gift with money. You have no part or share in this, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be given you, may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the chains of wickedness. Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may happen to me. Now after Peter and John had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, proclaiming the good news to many villages of the Samaritans. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. I want to tell you a little bit about Simon. Simon liked being the center of attention. He was the class clown in elementary school and was always trying out for the lead in all of the high school stage productions. He would have been one of Jason's top students. Simon could sing, act, and dance. But he eventually learned that the thing that got him in the most attention and the most accolades was being really, really good at magic. Not only was Simon good at doing magic tricks, he was also a showman. In fact, he was such a good showman that he was so talented at sleight of hand that everyone who saw him actually believed that he literally had the power of God. That's some talent. Simon's ability to wow the crowds was so powerful that eventually the people began to think of him as someone who had special divine knowledge. When he spoke, they listened to him. And he grew to love the power and the feeling that that power gave him. Simon was someone important. And that mattered more than anything to him. But one day, a Jew named Philip came into the town and began preaching about a Nazarene named Jesus. Philip talked about the kingdom of God and performed all kinds of amazing signs and miracles in the name of Jesus. And the good news that Philip shared was powerful and appealing enough to capture even Simon's heart and mind. So along with all of the other men and women of that Samaritan, of, of Samaria, and the people in his village. Simon was baptized and followed Philip from that point on, watching him closely 
as he performed all of the signs and miracles. Now, I imagine that Simon's conversion was sincere to a point. I know he thought it was sincere. After all, he was captivated by the promise of salvation through Jesus, the promise of eternal life in heaven with God. And the signs and the miracles that Philip was able to do in Jesus' name truly spoke to Simon's sense of showmanship. And the power that Philip wielded drew Simon like a moth to a flame. The problem was that Simon had not fallen in love with Jesus, but only with what it seemed that Jesus could give him. So when Peter and John came to the village to help usher in the Holy Spirit of God, Simon saw his opportunity to cash in. When he saw that the only thing he needed to receive the power of the Holy Spirit for himself was for one of those apostles to lay hands on him, he offered to give them money. A lot of money. I mean, what was a little bit of money when he could finally get his hands on some real power, right? Not just the tricks that he had been doing all along. But did Simon get what he was after? Not so much, right? He didn't get it. You see, our scripture tells us that Peter reacted, well, negatively, needless to say, right? In fact, he was downright offended on God's behalf to such a vulgar offer. Here he was giving a gift born of divine love, and Simon was trying to buy it with worthless silver. And I can imagine Peter's look of disgust, like maybe he had smelled something bad when he looked at Simon. And he said to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain God's gift with money. You have no part or share in this, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the chains of wickedness. And Simon answered him, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may happen to me. You see, in all things, but especially with God, our intentions matter way more than anything that we actually say or do. I don't know about you, but a person's intentions have always meant more to me than what they actually say, do or say as well. It's because their intentions speak to who they are way more than the clumsy words that they might speak or the awkward actions that they might perform. Because we're human and we are clumsy and awkward. More often than not, really. Now, there was a woman that I worked with about 18 years ago who was really blunt. She just said things that were true without thinking about how others might feel about those words. And she got on people's nerves so many times that she was often confused about why people were mad at her all the time kind of felt for her. But she never seemed to bother me because I never felt like she was trying to be hurtful. And to give you an example, 
One time, we, she and I were sitting together on adjoining couches in the student affairs office at Barton. They, they came together like a point, right? So we were sitting facing each other. And I propped my feet up on the seat next to her, and she looked down and proclaimed, Holy cow, you have big feet! They're really big. And several of our coworkers who witnessed this exchange, they got really upset on my behalf, saying that she was so rude and she said such hurtful things. But my feelings weren't hurt. I wear a size 10 shoe. For a woman, I do have really big feet. I was kind of putting them right there in her face too, right? And she was simply stating a truth that she, as she saw it in the moment without any intention of hurting my feelings, there were my feet and they were big. And so since I knew that her intention was not to hurt me, I did not feel hurt. And the fact is, God feels the same way about us and what we say and do. God sees our hearts and knows our intentions. So if we say or do all the wrong things, but we're coming from a place of true love for God, there is grace because God knows our hearts. However, if we say and do all the right things for God, for all the wrong reasons, God will know and will not receive what we are trying to give. And so the question of the day, of course, is, what are the right and wrong things to do? And what are the right and wrong reasons to do them? Well, as Christians, we are instructed to tell people about Jesus, right? Go out into the world and make disciples of all people. To help people come to Christ and receive the gift of grace that God offers through Christ. That's our mission as Christians. It's the purpose of the church. Some Christian traditions call this getting saved. And many Christians are passionate about helping people get saved. And there are right and wrong intentions that can drive us in this endeavor. You ever met anyone who you just felt on an instinctive level did not have the right intentions when they were trying to save you? First of all, if they thought they could save you, then they were definitely missing the point, right? Some people share the gospel with others as an expression of pure love for both God and the people that they're talking to about Jesus. These folks walk through life so grateful for God's gift of grace, so humbled by God's power and goodness, and so awed by the whole Christ event that they cannot help but express that love. They cannot express that humility enough. They cannot show that awe enough in their daily lives. They are also so moved by God's love for them that they in turn love other people and wish for them to have the same sense of love and awe in their lives. That's why they share the gospel. That's why they want others to come to Christ. But there are other people who are motivated by other things that are not so pure. Sometimes those motivations come from within. Sometimes they are imposed upon them from without. People preaching bad theology. That's what I call it. Bad theology. But some folks share the gospel because they fear hell. 
They fear that if they don't tell enough people, if they don't save enough people, they could themselves go to hell. They fear the judgment of God might fall on them if they fall short of that task. And so they tell people about Jesus all the time. Or they tell people about Jesus because it makes them feel a sense of accomplishment and fills them with a pride that they saved 20 souls today. And they get caught up in the pep rally that their worship services sometimes resemble. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, that Jesus, 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 we love Jesus kind of a pep rally worship service. And they go out to save souls with a vengeance. But their message is not coming from a place of humility before God. Nor is it motivated by a love for God or for the people that they're hoping get saved. Their intention is to build themselves up, not to point people to God's love. Not only does God know, but the people that we're sharing the good news with also can tell if our intentions are good. And if our intentions are not good, the message often falls on deaf ears and the gift is not received. It is the same thing with stewardship. As Dick talked about earlier, if we give for the wrong reasons, then God knows. If we give for the right reasons, God knows. This is the case with our time and our money. If we volunteer simply because we're afraid to say no when someone asks, then the time that we've given doesn't mean a whole lot to God doesn't mean a whole lot to the people that we're serving, and it doesn't mean anything to us. If we volunteer out of a sense of duty, if we're doing it because we think we should, not because we love to serve God and God's people, then the work doesn't really make much of a difference in the world. It doesn't make a difference to God, to the people that we're serving, or again, to ourselves. And if we give money to the church in the same spirit, it is also meaningless to God. It's kind of vulgar, the way Peter saw the silver that Simon tried to offer in order to gain the Holy Spirit. Often people give because they were taught as small children that we're supposed to tithe to the church, but they never really put a whole lot of thought into why they were doing it. If you ask them why they give, they might not really know. God knows that. It's just something they've always done. Others tithe because they feel guilty or because they know that people are watching, or because they can write it off on their taxes at the end of the year. By the way, it's okay if you write it off on your taxes at the end of the year, but if that's the only reason you're doing it, then God knows. And still, others tithe because on some level, they're trying to buy God's favor, like Simon did with Peter and John. Simon tried to buy access to the Holy Spirit of God. Access to something that is freely given to us. All we have to do is ask. And when he did that, Peter said, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain God's gift with money. You see, it is not about the amount of time that we give that God blesses. It's not the amount of money that gives God joy. It's the love in our hearts which inspires the giving that God truly cares about. 
You may have noticed that there is a special card in your bulletin today. For those of you who don't know, this is a pledge card. It's something that this church asks its members to fill out each year to help the council and the stewardship team plan the budget and the leadership for the coming year. And you are not being asked to fill this out and turn it in today. In fact, I encourage you not to, unless you just really, really feel compelled to do it. If you're just moved by your love for God and you want to fill it out and put it in the offering plate. But I actually encourage you to take this home with you instead. Take the card home. Spend time with God in the days and weeks ahead. Ask God for guidance in how to fill it out. And there's a front and a back side, if you notice. As we contemplate what money and time we will commit to giving next year, we need to spend a good amount of energy meditating on our true intentions for giving it. Don't do it because you don't want to disappoint Pastor Laura. Do it because you love God. Don't give money because someone sitting next to you might see you pass the plate without putting something in it. Decide what God has given you, these gifts, this wealth that God has given us, as, as Dick so wonderfully pointed out earlier. And reflect on your love for God and how much you would want to serve God and to give back to God and to God's people. Why will you give what you give? Why will you do what you do? Why are you here in this church at this time in your life? What are your intentions for being a part of this ministry? Are you here because, like Simon, there is something you hope to gain? Or are you here because, like Philip, Peter, and John, you are so blown away by God's power, by God's goodness, by God's gift of grace that we receive in Jesus, that you just can't help but do your part to spread the good news into the world? Are you here? Will you give of your time and your money? Because your love for God causes you to be inspired by the mission of this church, which is a mission born of love for God and all of our neighbors. I want to read to you the mission statement of First Christian Church, which you may or may not have heard before. We start almost every meeting in this church by reading this mission statement out loud together. It goes like this. We, the members of First Christian Church, commit to being a welcoming, open, affirming, and spiritually vibrant congregation by deepening our relationship with Christ and each other through worship, prayer, study, stewardship, and fellowship, by engaging in service to all of God's people in Jesus' name, and by seeking out all who will be transformed by the joy of life in Christ. You can find that statement on the homepage of our website, and I encourage you to look it up again. 
as you meditate on your future giving, as you spend time with God in prayer in preparation for filling out this card. And by the way, if you're a visitor, you're not required to fill out this card. But if you consider this church your home church and you feel committed to this ministry, you're still not required to fill it out. This is something between you and God. I invite you, as you contemplate this card, to also read the mission statement a few times over and contemplate what it really means to you. Does your love for God inspire you to share God's love with others? Does the mission of your church inspire you to commit your financial and spiritual gifts? Are you moved in your heart of hearts to do what you do? What are the true intentions of your heart? We will ask everyone to please turn in their pledge cards two Sundays from now. And hopefully, when we do, all of us will be submitting not an obligation, but a love letter to God. That's what this is supposed to be. May our intentions be pure no matter what we do. And may we always act from a place of love, no matter what we choose to give. Because God cares little about what we do and cares everything about why we do it. Amen? Amen. Amen. But September 11th, 2001, We remember, or most of us remember, uh, that day the World Trade Center's two towers were destroyed. A plane crashed in Pennsylvania and one hit the Pentagon. And the United States was under attack. But then we are so blessed to live in the United States of America. Got Lee Greenwood's song, God Bless the USA. And we live in a time and a place of unparalleled affluence. A man or a woman who works for 40 years and made $25,000 a year would have gained a million dollars. This person would spend that during their lifetime. When they get to the pearly gates and St. Peter asks, what did you spend it on? What has been accomplished for eternity through the use of that wealth? What are we going to say? John the Baptist was asked the question, what should we do to bear the fruit of repentance? 
And he answered, Share your clothes and your food with the poor. The proof of spiritual change can alter our perspective on our handling of our possessions. We want to think about that during this uh, time that we're working on our stewardship campaign. Thank you.